Welcome. Hi. I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Hey everyone, it's Mickey here. Welcome to Wikipedia and another awesome podcast interview that I've got to bring to you today. My guest today is the versatile Sarah Cowley Ross. Now, anyone who is a Kiwi who tuned into the Olympics last year, Tokyo 2020, held in 2021, uh, will be familiar with Sarah because she was one of the three that brought to us the news of the day and the awesome sport highlights over on our TV screens and she did such a fabulous job. Her energy and her charisma really came across. So Sarah and I speak all about her life as an athlete in New Zealand growing up in Rotorua and how her passion for the ultimate experience as an athlete led her to heptathlon and to represent New Zealand in the Commonwealth and Olympic Games. And we also talk about her transition from an athlete to a mum and a staunch advocate for women's sport and how she's navigated this chapter in her life. So Sarah is as I said, a former Olympian and Commonwealth Games representative in heptathlon and high jump, a sports commentator and locker room columnist, in addition to being a marriage celebrant and an amazing mum to Poppy and Max and wife of Gus. Sarah is also a sought after and experienced MC and keynote speaker and is a member of the NZOC Athlete Commission, Community Education Ambassador and works within the Olympic movement in the Oceania region. She is a staunch proponent of women in sport, particularly in leadership and governance roles. And this is something that Sarah and I talk about and we talk about ways to get involved in this. She's also an alumni of the NZOC's Women in Sport Leadership Academy. Sarah's athletics career spanned 15 years during which she became the New Zealand high jump and heptathlon champion and attended numerous world championships, Olympics and Commonwealth Games. And you can find Sarah over at Locker Room where she regularly writes about sport, interviews athletes and shares her experiences. And you can also find her over on Instagram at Sarah Cowley Ross and where you can pick up on and join her for her Never Miss a Monday movement which is all about getting people of all ages, athletic abilities to be a little bit more active. Just before we kick off the show can I just remind you that the best way to support the podcast is to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star review that just increases the awareness of the podcast to other people who might also enjoy this contact we would so appreciate that guys thank you so much and also you could just jump on and join the recipe access portal for $12 a month over on my website mickeywillardin.com you get access to my regularly updated recipe library you get access Access to me, a private Facebook group, weekly emails, the opportunity to pick my brain on anything nutrition related. So that's a monthly membership and we've had loads of people join the crew which is so awesome. We are loving it. Alright team, please enjoy this conversation that I have with Sarah Cowley-Ross. 
I'm on it. So yeah, <laughs> to, get the, to get the podcast, the two podcasts I, re- I really love. Yeah. Um, long form, just really good vibes. Yeah. Jordan and Brenna Brown have to like go through their website and think it's just not convenient for my. No, I actually agree with you. And in fact, with Spotify on um, as a podcast uh, platform, it doesn't suit me the way that Apple does, you know, like I forget to look at Spotify to see who Joe has had on or who else might be on there. I didn't realize Brene was only on Spotify, which tells, which tells you a little bit about that. I don't actually um, hook into her stuff nearly as much as I should, because she's amazing. But I do like it how your first name basis with Joe Rogan. <laughs> I think it's just oh, it's amongst podcasters, Sarah. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. know we're on first name basis. Of yeah, I love it. Love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Sarah, I really wanted to have you on to talk about well, basically you, and I know that that isn't something that you are necessarily overly comfortable with, but I do know that you're a good talker. So I thought this will be a great way for people to get to, I know that a lot of people know a lot about you and probably over the years have followed your journey as I have from being an Olympian to transitioning into sort of motherhood to now being on the, I'm going to say on the airwaves, on the, on a televisions, writing for Locker Room, you know, you're in that public space uh, space, and you're such an advocate for women in sport. And so what I'm really hoping to chat to you about is just sort of how that's progressed for you in your life, basically. And I know we were on a Zoom um, a few weeks ago for 261 Fearless, which is a not-for-profit running group set up, founded by Catherine Switzer. And you just told some great stories about your time being an Olympian and sort of how you, how you set that as a, like a, an early in life goal and that you achieved it was amazing. And so I just was really quite inspired by that and thought others would be too. Thanks, Mackie. Um, I have to say, I really enjoyed that chat with um, your group. Um, And also just wanted to say, like, Catherine Switzer, I mean, what a trailblazer. And I've got this goal to run the Rotorua Marathon from Rotorua. I've cheered you on um, around the lake once. Uh, Super cool. but she was like, well, I'll help. I said, I said on the podcast um, or the, the Zoom call, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm going to do the marathon, uh, the marathon in my, when I'm 40. So I'm 37 now. I'm, I'm sometimes really I'm forgetting what how old I am. I keep saying I'm 38, but I'm not. I'm 37. So I've got three years um, before I step up into the uh, long distance land. Uh, and my and my brother, one of my brothers, has said he's going to run it with me, which is cool. And Catherine Switzer on that call was like, "Oh, I'd give let me know and I'll help you." And I was like, "Mate, you are backed by some amazing people, and it's it's great that your brother is also like, I'll run it with you." Because yeah. one of the things I wanted to chat to you about, Sarah, was you growing up. You know, like as I understand it, it felt like sport was like non negotiable for you in your childhood can you just sort of talk to us a little bit about um you and your family environment and how you sort of got into that sporting environment yeah so I'm in the middle of two boys and the brother I'm referring to about the marathon um that's my younger brother Richie um he's actually run quite a few marathons he's done Kepler so he's he's a bit of a a robo in that regard um my older brother Gaz he um he's played rugby for Manu Samoa he um 
the boys sort of played cricket and rugby mm-hmm. and I sort of did netball and athletics in the summer, sort of like formal organised sport. But, you know, we had this amazing childhood where we had, um, we lived down a long driveway mm-hmm. and there was a grass area which these days, in, I mean, in Auckland, you'd probably put about five townhouses on there, um, sell them off for two million each. But um, we had grass space and this area sort of right around our house and um, had my dad played basketball for New Zealand. My parents met through um, the Easter tournament at the YMCA in Pam Muir. Uh, and so from that I guess foundation of their relationship and their love of sport came this really quite natural and organic um, love of sport in my brothers and I and you know the hallway was not a safe place for us because you know (laughs) you know learning to tackle learning to dodge and and because I was a girl they um you know they didn't take it easy on me and Mm. I'm thankful for that um and I also think Part of the reason why sport, particularly for my dad, I guess, um, he came to New Zealand when he was seven from Samoa Mm. and he had, he's one of 10, um, so big Pacific family, you know, very limited resources, um, small house in Tukaroa, um, but a whole lot of love. Mm. And they had no English when they came. And I think about it now that sport was a platform where they could express themselves really freely. Mm. And so they had uh, whatever sport it was, love of basketball was, really, um, you know, in a little town in Tukuroa won in his, my dad's seventh form year, like won the national championships, which is really, it's a huge achievement. And yeah. um, when I think about that and the, the fact that my parents met through sport, just this ingrained love of sport, um, certainly for our childhood, uh, being active was just like you say non-negotiable and you know we we were really lucky to grow up in Rotorua and that it was very easy to navigate around the city in terms of well the town yeah (laughs) um in terms of like sports practices for that that was you know straightforward for my parents but also like you know we had the redwoods and um Mm. I remember as kids you know if on a on a weekend um to run off Little did I know at the time, you know, now I reflect back with my own children, um, you know, on the weekends, if we were a bit itchy, we'd go to the Redwoods and, you know, we'd run around the Redwoods or, um, and being in that, being surrounded by nature. I mean, you and I know how grounding that is as adults, but as children, you know, um, incredibly just natural and organic. And I think that because my parents prioritized sport and being, Active for us, it was really a way to burn off energy and three active yeah. kids. So um, that's not to say though that education was really important to my parents. Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, again, if I go back to my dad being an immigrant and, you know, that courage of my grandparents to really want more for their for their children and um, the generations to come. So education was really important for my dad. And like, if that wasn't taken care of, sorry, um, then, you know, he was, my parents were hard, you know, tough, like, you know, you weren't going to sport if the other stuff wasn't sorted first. So, yeah. 
Yeah, we were lucky. Yeah. Sarah, did that um, firmness come down through your parents as well, like with regards to, you know, obviously education is important, but where they were like, you know, if you don't, if you're not succeeding in the classroom, then your, you know, ability to shine at sport might be compromised. Like what was that sort of relationship like there? So your father had that very strong message come down to him. Did your parents have that strong message sort of filter through to you guys? You mean like if it if it was like if you in terms of sport or in terms of just education and life? Well, just sort of education and life. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I think definitely in education. My my yeah. parents were both like, um, I would say they were very disciplined um, yeah. towards us, yeah. and um, you know, on us, I guess, yeah. but not in like a really um, not a forceful way. But yeah. it's just they they set us they set a tone. And yeah. if you didn't do it, there were consequences. And yeah. that's um I'm grateful for that. It's made me hardworking, it's made me disciplined, it's made me focus at times when I need to be focused and um and it's also helped me respond to pressure. Yeah. And that certainly is something which is clearly important for your journey into competitive sport obviously you were competitive in netball and as I understand it as you were growing up was it a bit of a toss-up between athletics and netball when you had to make the call like what how did that yeah. work out yeah like I loved netball um I you know I, I wanted to be a sore fern like um Bernice Minnie was like my ultimate hero and I think she was because um as well because she played she did athletics. Um, mm-hmm. The Minis are, a, a, you know, a family who have, both of their parents have represented New Zealand in at the Commonwealth Games level, and um, and obviously because she was half Samoan as well. And so, um, for me, that visibility aspect of that is something that which I reflect on now and how important mm. that is um, in some of the work that I do. But go back to netball, I saw the silver ferns, so that's what I wanted to be. Yeah. But when I went to high school, I guess that's when I really started getting into athletics. I had a um, a coach who was a PE teacher at my school, or sort of girls, Morag um, Morag McKitney on, and she went to Commonwealth Games in 1994. Um, she was a sprinter, mm. and so I was really fortunate that after the school athletics day, she just invited a few of us to come to training, and we just started two times a week, and and it sort of grew from there. Where like my first national secondary schools, I remember going to Christchurch, and it was like this massive trip for me. Um, and I was so nervous. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I got dead last in the high jump that year. Yeah. And the junior girls high jump. And then the next year, you know, I got third. And then the next year, I, you know, and then I won every time since. Mm. Um, and choosing, it was, I was sixth form when it really sort of netball and athletics um, started sort of, you know, the season, the season creep, I guess. Um, yeah. All started earlier and earlier. And I was like, well, I can't really do the trials a week before the National Athletics Champ sort of thing. So I was still playing like Bay of Plenty under 17 netball um, representative sort of level. And I made a national tournament team for netball age group. Um, but it was really in seventh form or year 13 uh, that I put put netball aside and concentrated on athletics and I, I think part of that was because probably my school team wasn't that strong at the time and mm-hmm. um, my was really good netballer um and she did athletics as well and um 
I think that had that been different, maybe then the up, maybe that would have been different. But the other lure of athletics, of course, was the Olympics. So I, I couldn't, you know, go to the Olympics for netball. When was that sort of your um, aspiration, Sarah? When was it like, I want to go to the Olympics and that, you know, was it younger than seventh form? Was it? Yeah. Yeah. So I remember watching Barcelona when I was eight years old. Yeah. And just being like, wow, this is really cool. Yeah. Uh, and just really being in awe with like the whole spectacle of the Olympics, you know, not just the athletics. And I think my clearest memory of Barcelona, apart from Linford Christie, uh, is actually Lorraine Moller and, you know, her oh, scarf yeah. and just coming across the line and the, the, women's, the women's marathon and just that exhaustion but elation and for some reason that's kind of enduring memory for me Mm. and you know I remember you know four years later watching Daniel Loder come home in my classroom at Rotor Intermediate and just how the power of that performance the impact on on all my class and so I think from there the seed was sort of growing and then it just um because of my sport that's the pinnacle and I I wanted to achieve the pinnacle in my sport yeah so Sarah where so in terms of your national ranking or international ranking at the time you made that decision was it quite clear to you that more time effort and energy into athletics you were going to achieve that or because that's not a I mean, I guess this is what sets elite athletes aside from everyone else, right, is that absolute self-belief and determination that you can do it. Because I, I, I wonder, I always wonder whether you sort of need that first as a, as a thought process before you begin that journey, because it doesn't just sort of grow. Like, so were you quite mm-hmm. like, I want to go to the Olympics and I can? You know, were you yeah, quite strong in that? I was, actually. I think wow. I was. Uh, I first represented New Zealand when I was 16 and that was at an event in Sydney Mm -hmm. and it was the test event for the Sydney Olympics later that year so I was really exposed to it you know and and Sydney was a you know good time zone Um, it was easy to watch for New Zealanders and so I that year I had we I had two runs on the Olympic track um you know, I went to the Pacific School Games, and then I went. I went to the Australian Nationals, and so that we were exposed to this incredible environment. Um, mm. You know, going through the, the warm up tunnels and things like that, um, as they have with every Olympics, a, a test event, and so that was pretty pivotal. And then, you know, I went to World Juniors that year, so it was. It wasn't like it. It was just a natural thing that I believed I could could be there one day which is a bit naive really because um it's a hell of a lot of work you know yeah Um, and I think it's also about um people in your sport that perhaps recognize your potential Mm. and give you a bit of a nudge I guess yeah and who was that uh lots of people uh I think that saw a belief or just you know a nice it's it's really important to encourage people and yeah and the power of actually just a couple of words um what a difference it can make to people and I'm really conscious of that now um yeah. being around tracks in New Zealand and acknowledging people's 
commitment is mm-hmm. one thing and also acknowledging people's talent and I think that you can be talented all you like and that's mm. that's a real advantage um but commitment isn't is another thing yeah yeah that's such a good point and I suppose and I, I imagine that for someone to get to your level like you have to have both right it can't be like it's very difficult I, I often think about this with young kids sort of coming up through high school um uh exceeding um oh, sorry excelling in their sport but not necessarily putting in effort and them not recognizing that natural ability will sort of only get them sort of so far and it's you, you then need to sort of put all the other like super important things in to sort of then progress forward is, is how it looks anyway from the outside yeah and it's interesting because Mickey I, I've seen some super talented people like incredibly talented but it's almost at times that uh, that extreme talent can be a bit of a handbrake because when you haven't had to uh, really if everything's come easy yeah. and then it becomes hard and that that can be a real stumbling block for people and yeah. I think that it's not necessarily a bad thing to have trauma. Okay. Did you have trauma in those I, in in your sort of journey that sort of you I, I didn't when I was in high school. I, yeah. I didn't. I was that person, you know, a bursary head girl, New Zealand representative, played, you know, representative netball. You know, a very annoying. You know, really. Annoying. <laughs> um, and. And so when I went to university and all of a sudden had like bilateral stress fractures in my navicular in my first year oh. and finished like my first year at physio school in a wheelchair, that was really stressful. I didn't, oh. I didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. And because of, I just had this, you know, I guess luck, but also the thing, things went well for me. Uh, yeah. And then all of a sudden it became difficult and that regard yeah. uh, and then and then I guess my dad died when I was in my second year of university mm. and that was really traumatic and it's yeah. and it's I've reflected on that a lot uh recently doing you know podcasts and things and, and talks about how I think that that grief took a while to manifest for me interesting Sarah so was it later on in your sort of Olympic career where it sort of came up for you or well, so how did that look? Yeah, well, when I was, uh, so I got my sort of injury sort of, yeah. um, and so my dad died when I was 20, 20 oh, sorry, 19, um, and I made the Commonwealth Games in heptathlon when I was 21. Mm. But from a period when I was 21, 22, to I was 27 I very like I really only improved well I, I was 5,710 points in the heptathlon mm-hmm. and I improved to 5,752 points so two percent okay which is terrible okay you know, the effort yeah. that I was putting in you know yeah and I often think about you know well not often I've, I've reflected sort of on that time and mm. It was, you know, there was a number of factors, but I, but I do think that that grief had probably something to do with it. Yeah, I don't think it was everything because I had a lot of other things, you know, that weren't quite lining up for me. Yeah, 
but I think that yeah when you when you've got when you when you're not right as a person it, it it's it affects or it manifests into all areas of your life yeah what happened then Sarah so what then enabled you to sort of release and, and actually process it yeah I it's not that I probably hadn't processed it yeah. uh, I think I was just at a point in my life 27 a year out from the Olympics uh and looking at sort of my friends thinking oh you're getting married you're getting married you've got a house in Auckland you've got a good job uh, I am wondering how I'm going to pay for my massage for this week and I've got nothing really to show for it but a really great sporting you know life yeah I think it was like right if I don't do some work on myself then I'm what am I doing you know it's a real uh real point in my life really tough because I thought oh well I don't I don't think I can do this you know it was the first Mm. problem I'm not sure if I'm going to do this and if I don't do this next year I'm I'm done you know I'm yeah I can't do this at 32 for the first time uh need to be I need to be all in and it's not that I wasn't all in I probably didn't have the right people on my on the bus uh and my team yeah and my team and probably also in my personal life as well yeah but I just did the work I did lots of um work with the new sports psych uh who really was not really interested in sport actually he was interested in me and Mm. uh, just peeled back a lot of layers and pretty much got my shit sorted um that's an evolving process obviously (laughs) Uh, did a lot of work on, on myself and learned a lot about you know I probably was a victim of my own self-sabotage I was uh had a handbrake on my life and for those that, that period of years and yeah and I got that sorted uh and got back to that joyful eight-year-old who believed in the Olympic ideal who was free uh who was totally courageous and yeah. And that just uh, took me to another level and Sarah, on the track and in, as a person. Yeah. Sarah, because you talk to a lot of athletes now with your journalism role in Locker Room and, of course, you're, you know, you're speaking to kids in school and you're, um, you're in a, you know, a sought-after speaker for corporate groups and sport groups and stuff. Do you see those qualities in other athletes? Do you see – other athletes putting handbrakes on themselves like can you see that in, oh, in some totally. yeah totally yeah. and I think that actually what it comes down to is, a, is an honesty of where you're actually at yeah and yeah. the more honest and authentic you can be with yourself um not trying to trick yourself about where you're actually at but be yeah. real about it it's, I guess it's like Instagram versus reality um yeah. but uh I feel like there's people out there you just kind of want to shake and go, you know, like you, you screen this up in this, you know, everyday matters. And um, and I guess that intensity for me because I had that period of struggle. And and while mm-hmm. that was struggle, I still had some incredible experiences. You know, I, I live, I did eight seasons in Europe. You know, I lived summer to summer. I've, I had some, made some amazing friendships through athletics but you know in that period of time I didn't really get the results I I wanted yeah and Sarah your um 
because of that, is that part of what you talk to people about now? Like when you're up there and you're advocating for um, women in sport, for sport to be, you know, for people to sort of gain experience and life experience through sport. Is this something that you, because of your own self-awareness, are able now to talk to people about and actually see people going, oh, yeah, actually this is something I can really sort of work on? The more I share my, about myself and really share personal uh, details, when I'm speaking to groups, the better connection I have with people, like anything. Yeah. If I try and fake some something, and, you know, I've been guilty of it, I'm not going to lie, uh, it's, I, you don't get the real me, and people know that. They really know yeah. that. And you can do a good job, you know, you can do a good job, but you can also do a great job and actually make 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 something for someone go, oh, yeah, it's okay. You know, it's okay to do that, but actually yeah. um, this is what I want out of it. And I think um, my husband's been really great, actually, when I'm doing talks and he'll just be reminding people, you know, give a little, just give, just give some more. And I guess I've kind of had this, uh, little perfect mind of what I think I should be saying and what people, what I think people want to hear from me. But yeah. actually, they want to hear, they want to hear those stories. They want to hear, you know, like seven times around the world, did I do a heptathlon and I did no, like a no score in one event and how heartbreaking and how frustrating that was for me. And, mm. and they want to know about the tears and they want to know about the reality of actually this is life, mm. um, but there are ways to get through it. Yeah. You're so right with that whole um, presenting what you think is your best self to people, but if it isn't honest. Like I even think, particularly with someone like you, Sarah, because you are such a genuine person and you wear your heart on your sleeve and you can just see that about you, that it would almost be quite guarded to have you sort of act in a way that, or, or sort of hold back a little bit. And then you would notice about you that you're not really, I don't know, like you'd like the, it's how you feel inside and then what you project out, like that's actually yeah. quite, like it's quite an obvious thing for some people. Yeah. I mean, there are some people who can completely do it, but yeah, rubbish. Yeah, and I agree. And I, I think, Mickey, like particularly, I, I, you know, I'm just thinking back to a couple of talks I've done in particular to all girls' schools yeah. and the, the the parents that have come up to me afterwards and yeah. told me about their daughter or whatever. Um, and then the messages maybe that I've had reached out to me. Um, today I did a talk for a corporate organisation and, you know, I had an email this afternoon from someone who, had a similar circumstance to me and was just compelled to write and yeah. I think that you you can't underestimate uh the power of what you're saying and so I think you owe it to the person who has showed up to listen to you yeah to, to give your best and yeah. to be real about it yeah nice I love it Sarah um now I really want to ask about heptathlon because it is not the sport that we think of when we think of athletics, you know. So, how did you how did you get into heptathlon in the first place? I guess it was people kind of. So I had it come from a high jump hurdles background, yeah. And people were like, "Oh, you should do heptathlon," and and I was kind of like, "Oh, I don't really. I'm not really good at throwing. Like, I'm just not a natural thrower." Which is interesting because, of like, amount of 
feeling I did from my brothers, like um, <laughs> playing dad cricket. Uh, so I was resistant to do it, yeah. to do heptathlon. But I also realised it was my greatest potential to, and it was the event for me. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I in 2005, it was my last year at university, I did a physio degree and I went to World University Games in mm-hmm. Izmir in Turkey. It was a really cool trip, actually. Uh, and I roomed with, so I did long jump there. Mm-hmm. I was coming back from my feet, um, my navicular sort of stresses. Sounds silly, but long jump was kind of like a straight line and a jump rather than, the, you know, like a high jump and more pressure on your foot or had lots of running sort of stuff. So it was it was a bit easier to sort of manage yeah um so I roomed actually with Rebecca Wardell who mm. was doing heptathlon who had converted from four hurdles to heptathlon and we were roommates and I just saw how cool it was what she was kind of doing and I also realized I made the final of that world university games I went around the world for six jumps mm-hmm. and. I just thought, oh, I could just do heptathlon. And, and I'd kind of done a couple as a junior, but it, it was at that point when I came home and committed. And I was a carded athlete at that time mm-hmm. and as, you know, sort of like a potential for junior. And, and then I came home and changed to heptathlon and I got cut straight away. The high-performance yeah. director was like, uh, yep, yeah, nah, you're – and he was Maltese guy, so it was quite, like, confronting for me. Yeah. He he was like, no, you, this is not for you. You know, I was got I was just five months to the Commonwealth Games trials for Melbourne in 2006, and he was like, oh, if by miracle you make it, then you'll never do well at this. This will be the this will be the highest you get to. And wow. I was like, fuck you, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And and I like you know I had decided and I thought I was being real brave and then he just yeah. you know cut my funding um, and that was it wow and uh, he was pretty quick to shake my hand after I completed the eight hundred in the Commonwealth Games trials at, at QE two Stadium and Bex and I went there and yeah we've travelled the world together and best of mates amazing Sarah like I can't imagine what it would take to train for something like that because it like the demands on the body of the throwing the sprinting jumping like it's must have been hard yeah it was hard but I guess that's part of the allure of it you know yeah because you kind of like you never quite you dream of the perfect heptathlon right you you, you add up all your pbs and you think oh if only I could do seven pbs and you know, it, and that's that's kind of like the the ultimate dream for a Maltese mm. athlete. Is when we want to talk about Maltese, the the guys do decathlon, we do heptathlon, and I think it is really difficult. It's a really difficult event uh, physically and mentally. Mm. Uh, technical, a lot of technical stuff. Uh, you just got to do the work. You know, you just got to do the time, time on task. Uh, a lot of technical stuff. Uh, a lot of work in the gym to be able to cope with the load. Uh, I had a rushing coach, so I had a lot of volume. Yeah. And 
you know, you'd show up to the track, you'd be the first there, you'd be the last to leave. Mm. And in between time, you'd be doing a whole lot of rehab to be able to um, Pilates, yoga, so much heat of medical um, physio um, and other therapy uh, to be able to handle it. But, you know, Maltese is quite a special, a special community mm. because you respect what the other person has done in the training to get to get to the start line and to start a heptathlon but also to finish a heptathlon yeah amazing and when did you realize your olympic dreams Sarah? so i was in a small austrian village called gotsis i started the heptathlon my best score beforehand was 5000 52 so I needed like 98 more points and uh, I did it at Gotsis which is really like the Wimbledon of uh, heptathlon and decathlon it's just the most incredible competition yeah and I went and scored 6135 which was yeah a couple of days really yeah I got um I really needed 6150 to really secure my spot Mm -hmm. the A I sort of got nudged in the final straight of the. Oh, sorry, Mackie, mine just dropped off. No problem. This is a great thing about being on the browser. Like it's, it's, uh, we're back on, basically. Yeah. I know. Amazing. <laughs> and you were just, you were just telling me about that you had, you had 6,125 points. You got nudged in the 800. Yeah. So 6,135, um, sort of really needed 6,150 to secure my spot. Got a little bit, uh, um, got a bit of the walls in the last sort of 80 meters, but, um, in the end it didn't matter and, um, secured my spot. And then, you know, a couple of months later I was on the start line in London. Amazing, Sarah. And when you were there, did you like, how did you approach that competition? Were you there to, um, obviously, you, you know, like you wanted to compete at your best, but what was the most important thing for you, out of, if there is such a thing? Like, was it, I'm going to podium? Was it, I'm going to do my best? Like, how do you think as an athlete? Yeah, I was definitely going in there to do a personal best. You know, yeah. if things had gone right, then the New Zealand record. Uh, now, what that meant onwards, um, the heptathlon at that time was incredibly high standard. Uh, Jessica Innes was in my field, uh, and so the level was really high, actually, uh, yeah. and which is cool to be part of. And but really, I guess the goal was for me to definitely do a PB. I didn't, well, wasn't able to do that, but I also really wanted to enjoy it because, um, you know, I'd waited twenty years for this dream, yeah. and also. Um, what was the coolest thing for me is was that my family were in the stands. Oh, amazing. Now, did that include Gus at the time? Gus was part of my team. So he was actually in the New Zealand Olympic team at the time. He was with cycling. Yeah. Uh, so we were sort of in the early stages of our relationship, yeah. uh, very early. And uh, sort of I sort of was like, right, let's um, get this out of the way. Get, not get this out of the way, but the Olympics <laughs> um, at all. Uh, so he actually, so he was actually credited with cycling because he was mm-hmm. uh, working with them at the time. And so 
the NZOs, the New Zealand team gave, um, he managed to get accreditation. Actually, athletics arranged it, and he actually had an affinity pass. And if you if you've been to a games and and realise what an affinity pass is, it's all access. And oh. so you know, on your accreditation, I've got some over there actually. They hang sort of like it's our accreditation peg. But basically, if you've got this. If you've got the infinity symbol, you can go wherever you want. And he was watching there the, the whole two days, um, obviously coming in and out of the, the warm-up track, but from, you know, right on 50 metres uh, with all the big wicks. And actually, because Jessica Innes was in the event, and then there was like the last session of our heptathlon was Super Saturday. So Mo Farrow won, Greg Brotherhood won, and Jess won, all this all in an hour. So it's you know, golden hour for the British sport. But just before the hurdles, uh, the rows sort of all started clearing out around him, the security, and the the Duchess of Cambridge was sitting right by him. This was the this was the level of pass that he had. So yeah, obviously he had to give it back. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing, Sarah. So yeah. was it everything you hoped it would be? Like, did it, because this has been a dream for like 20 years, did it live up to your expectations? Yeah, I think it did. Yeah, I, I, it's funny no one's really asked me that. Uh, but, yeah, it did. It delivered. And it's funny because the actual competition itself is the only thing that's really similar to what you've experienced um, at the, in, you know, previous ex- previous um, experiences of competing. But it's, it's a circus, the Olympics. You know, it's a massive. It's a massive whole another level from Com Games, um, and because I did have the face of the games in my event, it was yeah, it was it was mu- actually did it exceed my expectations? It it blew them away. Wow, amazing! And w- would you is that class is your you know most favorite event like, or was there another time like what is what has been your most? I, enjoyable is not the right word but your most memorable sort of like sporting event over your career I think in the events where I've really been really free and really allowed myself to really take the handbrake off that's been the most enjoyable time yeah because when you can do that that's when you that's when you're really in that flow state and and amazing things can happen so for me that was in Gotsis um in the high jump in particular I jumped 191 that day my personal best before that was 184 amazing the New Zealand record high jump is 192 and it was pretty amazing feeling to jump that high and then the second time I would say was when I it's funny it's the qualifying so is when I qualified for Com Games in 2014 at Aussie Nationals and I sort of had had a really, I changed just to focus on high jumps. It was quite a big call. And I had, so the qualifying mark was 188. And obviously yeah. I'd done 191 as a heptathlete, but I couldn't quite get that same patterning. Mm. Uh, so it took me, I was struggling for a long time and sort of had only jumped 185 that season before. And, but I knew that the Aussie Nationals was sort of, I could have gone to the States, but it was, it was really my last good shot, and and I was just um, again just another another level of my performance. And it's uh, you know I look back on that day, and I you know I wish I'd have jumped higher than that um, because I really wasn't a physical you know obviously great physical shape, but 
um, to, to align the physical with the mental yeah. is, is, is something pretty special. Yeah, I can't imagine that that happens often in an elite mm. yep. athlete's career. Yeah, and so that's when, when it happens, you've got to celebrate it. Yeah. Because, um, you know, for everyone's had more losses than wins, you know, more, mm. you know, hard times than really good. And, and that makes the good times like so rewarding and so. Yeah. So rewarding, not just for you too, for so for your team, for your family, for your friends, um, that are just willing you on all the time. So that's that's really empowering. Did you know that at the time, Sarah? Is this just you reflecting back? Were you good at celebrating the success when it happened? More um, towards the later stages of my career, I was much better at that. Yeah. How did you transition from athlete to mother? You know, like what would, what did that look like for you? And actually, well, no, I'm I'm going to rephrase that because you're still yeah. an athlete, of course. Oh. But, but you moved from yeah. your your you know the, the sport being the center of of you know your myopic focus as it had to be. Mm. Was it an easy transition for you, Sarah? To- no, it wasn't. Yeah. Mm. So I, I retired in 2014. I thought my last competition was going to be Combi Ames in Glasgow in high jump. But yeah. was, so we had a holiday afterwards and then we were traveling back through the States. And was, we we're actually in Las Vegas, actually. And I got an email from um, Oceania Athletics saying that I had made the Continental Cup team, which was in Morocco like a month later. So I suddenly sort of stopped drinking so much and uh, (laughs) I'm a really big drinker but um, I thought oh gosh okay this would be a really cool opportunity so the Moroccan World Cup was was my last like international comp but then I uh, was so yeah that was like September uh, 2014 and then 2015 December, uh, had our son Max, who's mm-hmm. now five, who's turning six soon. And for me, you know, retiring, moving away from competitive sport, I, I worked for a year for it for one of my long term sponsors and still, and I have an association with, with Essex New Zealand. Um, I was their sponsorship sort of manager. So uh, it was, it was a really, it was a good time, but a hard time, you know, you wrap so much of your identity up and being an athlete. Mm. I was very used to coming, kind of coming and going as I please, you know, it was, everything was yeah. about me really, like you say. And it's, it's, um, you know, I was suddenly at a desk, you know, commuting from the North Shore to into Parnell. Yeah. And God, it was a shock. I mean, <laughs> I was just like, oh gosh, why do people do this? Like, I love my job. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. I was like, whoa, this is like how I, I need time to like exercise. I need time to go to physio, and then I was pregnant as well. So it was like this massive body transformation as a high jumper. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was very as a high jumper. You know, I, my skin folds were like forty mil. Mm-hmm. I was you know, really lean and in great shape and then all of a sudden I'm like growing this human so <laughs> I think I actually was like you know and I put on 20 kgs because mm-hmm. I was I was also a lot it was also almost quite um being pregnant allowed me to just 
reach for the chip bowl like it was unreal like the behavior it was like I kind of had this quite freeing sort of like I'm not this elite high jumper I'm I'm an office worker and I'm pregnant and you know what if the chips came up at four o'clock I'm gonna I'm gonna have them for once (laughs) in my life and so I think that transition of not just um I guess mentally but Mm. also physical for me you know I had this big massive thing in front of me growing yeah it was uh yeah pretty confronting and then it was also just the most fulfilling and challenging thing that I've done by far and still are doing as a mum yeah so interesting Sarah and I've heard you describe your role at ASICS um that yes you absolutely loved it but you felt that you you weren't, it wasn't a good platform for you to share your, your gifts actually in sport. Is that, did I get that right? Did you? I think it, it taught me a lot. Uh, and the people that I worked with were awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, but I kind of, yeah, I'm, I I don't think I would say that it didn't allow me to share my gifts. It, it sort of allowed me an opportunity to experience corporate for yeah yeah a a different world um but it also affirmed to me what I would where I would like to spend my time going forward yeah and also I guess the lifestyle that I was used to living yeah when we sort of kicked off this call you talked about how you could see for your parents that sport was more than just sport. It was more than just the physical nature of being out there in the field playing the game. It was a platform with which they could sort of build a life, build what they wanted, and um, help raise kids, I suppose, to be uh, – that allowed them to fulfil their potential. And that's – you know, so sport is so much more than just the game. Like, is that how you sort of got into the role that you're in now because of that sort of – you know it's very obvious it's pretty obvious to us who are in sport and no sport but a lot of people say oh you studied for Z. did you like throwing a ball around you know <laughs> yeah I mean like I don't have to sell you the power of sport because yeah. you know you know you yeah. live it um yeah. and I, I think that I think with Essex there was there's definitely that um there's that side obviously it's about selling shoes so that's what that's the bottom line uh but I guess the work that I do now and it's I kind of like think that my life is still like a heptathlete you know I've got lots of different roles um get bored very easily but I also like having lots of things on the go uh so I guess that 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 singular focus as well um in a in a in a proper job uh as opposed to kind of what I do now it was was also confronting for me but in terms of I guess the work that I do it it has definitely been shaped by values yeah you know um how what's the greater good you know what what's the purpose behind me lock working for locker room well um I've got a communications degree so I'm interested in the media and interested in the impact of the media and also you know as I mentioned about the visibility of sport for women and girls um mm. you know from my own ex- experiences uh I could if I want that sport um women and girls 
sport and recreation um, to be more visible, then I've got an opportunity to actually influence that through locker room and mm-hmm. through other work that I do because I guess the media work, it's you know, it's not acceptable to me that 14% of New Zealand mainstream media is on is on women and girls. Yeah. You know, when it's we love watching women and girls in sport and yeah. There are so many people out there doing some incredible things that yeah. never see the light of day. And so for me, the locker room co-papa has been incredibly rewarding. Um, it's also been super fulfilling to be working and be mentored and, and as a friend to Suzanne McFadden, uh, who's an award-winning journalist and, and an incredible woman. Uh, and I guess the governance work that I do with the New Zealand Olympic Committee and as the chair of the NZOC Athletes Commission, uh, again, that's because I see the, see the benefit of sport and mm. how it can enrich lives. And that's why I do the NZOC Ambassador Programme because I remember remember people who came to my school, you know, Otonga mm. Primary School in Rotorua, and I was that kid that was, you know, transfixed on whoever was was coming. And, you know, it doesn't have to be sport necessarily for the lessons to be filtered into arts and culture or, you know, whatever your thing is, you know, find it and pursue it and, and pursue it relentlessly, I think. So sport has allowed has been that vehicle for me. Mm. And I think that um, because of that, I want to be able to, others to obviously share that joy um but also uh you know really be in a position to promote that yeah Sarah has it changed in the few years that you've been in your role with locker room and in the communication industry and stuff is it is it a changing landscape in the media with regards to women's sport or if we still got a lot obviously at 14 percent that's like almost unbelievable you know, like I just cannot believe that that's the case. Yet, of course, I can believe it as well, knowing what I know about sport and um, gender inequality and even just thinking about how much women are paid uh, at certain events compared to men is just yeah, like, yeah. mind-blowing to me, yeah. like stuff like that. Can you see it changing? Oh, look, I think we, we're, we're standing on the shoulders of some incredible, you know, mana wahine mm. and also allies and men. And I think it's really important to to point out that there's some been some quite inspirational men in New Zealand who have helped lift the standard but actually the women who are trailblazing the way and you know I've been really fortunate you know the likes of Melody Robinson who was who gave me the job to work for TVNZ and has been incredible in developing women in the wonderful group um, which is related to you know lifting you know creating a network of 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 women in sports journalism whether whether that is you know directors or producers or um you know editors or whatever it is but creating a network so people can you know join together and also bring people up and get confidence Mm. to be confident Mm. uh to put your name forward you know to just to lean in you know like you know Cheryl says um when it when it matters so I think to your point to your question is 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 it changing yes uh it is and you know organizations like Whisper and we've got some incredible female leaders I'm very lucky to have been in this time at the NZOC as on the board with 
you know, the likes under Karen Smith's leadership and um, very lucky to have been mentored by some other phenomenal uh, governance, sport governance um, people as well who have taken me under their wing. So I think there's momentum. Um, we're l- the Women's World Cups in the coming years, you know, mm-hmm. we've got cricket coming this summer, followed by the IWG conference, which is the biggest conference in the world in women in, in women's sport, then the Rugby World Cup, and then the following year, the football FIFA Women's Football World Cup. Those are incredible opportunities for New Zealand and mm. uh, mm. for women and girls in sport to be exposed, to be visible, to participate. But we need more people, uh, more women in leadership positions uh, that actually have a say and stand for diversity and inclusion. Mm. How do people? Get involved, Sarah. There's lots of different ways to get involved. So, you know, if there's uh, leadership opportunities, you know, developing, if you work in the sector, at the moment I'm involved in the Active Women's Leadership Development Program. There's so many acronyms, I'm trying to get them right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm one of the facilitators on that, and, and that's a really great program at developing capability of mm-hmm. people in the sort of sector. Uh, you know, start even by, you know, following locker room, um, mm. you know, following Whisper, which is Women in Sport Aotearoa. But more than ever, you know, if there's, if there's women um, playing sport, watch it because the eyeballs matter to commercial relationships. Mm. And also if, if you're going to um, be an ally or get involved, go to the Women's World Cup. You know, mm. go to these, the tickets for the cricket are so cheap. They're like $7, you know. Yeah. And yeah. so that is, is, showing, is showing up for actually for our daughters, for our nieces, but it's also showing up for our boys as well at the same time because it's teaching them about actually it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. If, if you're there, you should be valued. Amazing, Sarah. Like your passion is just coming through for this. And it's so, it is so aspirational. And I love that message. It's actually pretty simple. Like it's very easy to sort of sit there and go, oh, what about the fact that women aren't represented and we're never seeing anything? But I don't know if people actually appreciate how easy it is to be part of the movement, you know? And that very simple thing of just doing actually what a lot of us love doing heading over to grab a, you know, spend a day on the green watching a cricket game or whatever, you know, like. Yeah, I'd love to see Sophie Devine smash some sixes this summer. <laughs> um, you know, and I want to see, you know, Susie Bates play it um, on the, her, in her home ground in Dunedin in the, in, the, in the Cricket World Cup. I mean, and, you know, if that's the best thing you can do is actually say, oh, yeah, that was cool, and then tell people about it. Yeah. It's the next step. Awesome. Sarah, thank you. Um, It's been great to talk to you this evening. And one thing I really hope is that we get to see more of you on TVNZ at some point in the future. That would be amazing. Um, And uh, outside of that, where can people find you? Because, I mean, I know that you're on social media. Where else can we, like, find out more about you and, of course, your work and all the other stuff you're doing with NZOC and, and the rest of it? 
so I have a website, sarahcowley.com, and um, I'm probably most active on Instagram, actually. Um, it's where I always sort of tend to bump into you, Mixta. Um, yeah. But I've been very lucky. I, I mean, I remember when we used to work together as when I was in physio land, and um, you've provided me with a lot of information and a lot of guidance um, with my nutrition over the years. So I've, I've, it's been a privilege to talk to you, and I just love uh, what you stand for. Oh, that is lovely, Sarah. Thank you. It's been awesome to talk to you and um, look forward to seeing you on Insta. Never miss a Monday. (laughs) Never miss a Monday. I hope you guys really enjoyed that. I just absolutely love talking to Sarah. She is, you know, I feel really privileged to be able to call her a friend and um, she is just giving a lot to the New Zealand sporting environment with her advocacy and her experiences that she's sharing over on Locker Room. So absolutely check out her work. She is an amazing writer as well. And I really hope that we get to see her again on our screen sometime soon. Next week on the show... I had the privilege of sitting down with Dr. Charles Brenner, who was the person who discovered the NAD Plus pathway, which is very exciting if you're a bit of a nutrition geek like me, because we delve all in to the role of niacin, of NAD, and its role in longevity and health. Until then, though, team, you can catch me over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, over on Instagram and Twitter at Mickey Willardin and over on my website mickeywillen.com where you can book a consultation or sign up to any one of my fat loss plans, my real food nutrition plan, my athlete plan or their aforementioned recipe portal access. So until next week, you guys have a great week. Look forward to seeing you soon. Bye.